Talk about the Mets, shall we? Jack Aram, new week, just baseball show, Monday, December 12th. This is the uh, what's the penultimate week before Christmas. Is it okay to play the Michael Bublé and the John Legend right now? Do you listen to it in the car? I know you just went to Hell Rockefeller no. Center. I, okay, that was that was obligatory. Uh, you know, family in town have to do the, uh, the whole tourist game and do all those things. I haven't been there at all. Uh, it was nice. It was nice. But like, dude, I'm not a big Christmas soundtrack guy. Like, and of course, I know it's like an on-brand arm oh, yeah. take to have. Yeah. No, it's Scrooge. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Scrooge. I'm the worst. I just don't <laughs> enjoy the music. Like, I just, it's just kind of brutal. I hear it all the time. Yeah. I like it if I'm like at a, at Rockefeller Center for that span of 20 minutes, then like, I don't need it everywhere I go for the rest of the next few weeks. Yes. So I'm, I'm with you. Like, I don't need to hear the 60th rendition of the same song, but Mariah Carey, like that is the immediate good vibe song. Like, are you anti Mariah Carey? Or no, I'm okay you- with it. I just got to really be in the mood. And and I'm rarely like, you know, I'm in the middle of like a, like a shopping or whatever, like focused on getting a gift or something. And just like, it just follows you everywhere you go. How stressful are gifts for you? I most of the time just forget about them. I hate them. I can't stand gift shopping in the mail. I always say, oh, it's in the mail. And then I order it like after Christmas and just have it straight to somebody's store. Yeah. Not big on the gifts. On that, on that post-Christmas sale. That's big. All right. We're going to talk about the Mets today. We've got the managing editor, Ryan Finkelstein, also the host of Locked on Mets. Um, he is what I believe to be um, the Mets source, the Mets uh, I, yeah. you know, go to right for for news and uh, and fun opinion because the guy kicks ass. So we're going to have him on to talk big picture this. We're going to treat this as like the Mets GM episode. We promised you a GM episode for all 30 teams. The Mets are pretty much done. So we're just going to go through that rapid fire uh, arm and I. But I, I do want to start with this like loaded question that I think everybody's asking right now. And I'm just going to throw it to you and see whichever way you go with it is what Steve Cohen is doing. Good for baseball. Is what Steve Cohen is doing. Good for baseball. Yeah, I guess. Right. I mean, I think what I would rather have what Steve Cohen is doing be done than a bunch of small market teams pretend to spend, you know, like whatever the Marlins did last season being the example of that, right? Like they sign Avi Garcia, they sign Jorge Soler, they commit you know, $80 million to those two guys. And they have their hands tied behind their back for the next five years and say, Hey, we tried, you know, or how about it, what the white Sox are doing right now? Right. Where, where they keep saying like, Oh, we're going to get better. We're going to get better. And then nothing happens. So yeah, exactly. So I would say, I think it's good. It's just, it's, misconstrued is bad because it further highlights the bad that's actually being done, which is the small market teams not paying, you know, to, to really boost that payroll whatsoever. I think what Steve Cohen is doing is creating more polarization, 
But it's always good when an owner spends, right? It's always good when an owner is not just focused on profits and and actually reinvests into the product that he is putting on the field. It's going to be good for baseball in New York, which means it's good for baseball, period. The reason why we have this question of, is it good? Is it because it creates the biggest gap possible between the bad, which is the teams that just profit off of the revenue sharing and, and do all of the things that we hate, which are a big part of why we, you know, have seen the lockout, you know, and everything that happened already. Um, Steve Cohen's kind of flashing an even bigger, you know, light on that right now. And I think he's getting some collateral damage, which I don't think is fair. He, he's doing what, you know, every fan and every team would want their owner to do. It just happens to be that 29 other teams and 29 other fan bases aren't seeing their owner really do it to this degree. And I'd say only a few others are even seeing something close to this. And the beauty of what he is doing, like it is entirely legal in the sport of baseball. He is yeah. operating within the parameters of of what baseball has set because they've set no parameters. Like all it is, is if you go over this number, you pay this much. And he's willing yep. to pay that much. And he's willing to pay that escalated cost here. I was talking to your friend and mine, James Fox and Mike Rankin on Future Socks earlier today. And, and they kind of asked the same thing. And that got my my gears turning and I'm going to ask Fink that when he comes on. I wanted to ask you that. And, and my, <laughs> Fink's, Fink's answer will be even more so <laughs> clear cut than mine. I'm, I'm going to like, I'm going to ask him to do this thing where like he re- tries to remove himself from the Mets thing. And I'll say, no, he's pretty good at that. that. He's pretty he, good at that. He is good at that. Right. So I'm going to ask him to do that. And my answer was very similar to you in that it was like your high school English teacher answer. It was a little bit of both. It is good and it's bad. And the bad was it is further highlighting the power imbalance in baseball, exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And you're going to hate me, but I'm going to make a soccer comp right now because a lot of people are watching the World Cup. The four semifinalists right now, Argentina, Croatia, Morocco, and France. The best yep. player on Argentina is Lionel Messi. He plays for Paris Saint-Germain, PSG. Best player on France, Kylian Mbappe. He plays for PSG. Best player on Morocco, Ashraf Hakimi plays for PSG. And then you look at Croatia, like, you know, a bunch of Croatian guys, but the captain, the guy that's been there forever, the most notable name, Luka Modric, he plays for Real Madrid. Kylian yeah. Mbappe has been rumored to go to Real Madrid. Ashraf Hakimi started at Real Madrid. Like there are five teams in soccer that have all of the best players and soccer and FIFA granted FIFA is way more corrupt than major league baseball will ever be. But that's the comparison when you talk about the lack of cap and the lack of floor, right? It's everybody's got liberty to do whatever the hell they want. And what the Mets are doing, what Steve Cohen is doing is very FIFA-esque where if you have the funds, you can take in and ingest a lot of the top talent in baseball. Now, yeah. Yeah, I was sorry to cut you off. I was going to say, but the the French league seems to be doing great. You know, like the Premier League seems to be doing great. Real Madrid, you know, like the Spanish league seems to be doing great, even with some of that polarization. Exactly. And like, you've got teams that, you know, will never compete for a title, but like when Leicester City is good and they're like, you know, plus 16,000 to win the Premier League title, that's great. That's the underdog story. I mean, you just don't want baseball being like that. You don't want baseball being like that, but but you can get better in other ways. We've seen Tampa and Oakland do it with development and Cleveland do it with development. Now, that's the bad. The good is you've got a guy that like so badly wants his favorite team to win baseball games that he's willing to pay yeah. money to do it, and he's not breaking any rules. So don't you wish your owner was like that? So I think that's, it's 
the Mets have Steve Cohen and the other 29 fan bases are envious that they don't have Steve Cohen. Correct. And, and like at the end of the day, I will, I'll take this, you know, over, over kind of what we're seeing and with some of these other organizations and you'll get Bruce Sherman with the Marlins. And I know it's something that's been discussed a lot in the Marlins circles and fans just frustrated. That the Marlins haven't done anything yet. I mean, w- what are you expecting them to do? Right. And, and, and you look at what the CBT or whatever they call it, what the tax that Cohen's going to be hit with is $400 million roughly is, is what it's anticipated to be. Uh, Bruce Sherman, the Marlins, you know, owner is is barely worth more than that so you know you, you got to look at who's coming into the sport at this point too right and uh, some of the people that are able to buy some of these lower end major league baseball franchises could never sniff the nfl right they could never bruce sherman could never buy an nfl team bruce sherman could never buy a top market mlb team i i, I don't know I feel weird. I don't know what the qualifications are. I don't know what the legal you know, impact is on this, but I do think you have to be a certain level of rich to buy any major league <laughs> baseball team, even if they're the Miami Marlins, right? Even if it's the freaking Miami Marlins who stink, like you, you, you can't have be Bruce Sherman, who I know we joke like Bob Castellini's broke with the Reds. Like that's the joke too. Like those guys though, they, the franchise is worth a lot more than anything that they really have. So uh, I don't know if it should ever be that way. You need proof of funds to like tour certain homes in real estate. Like you can't just go, you know, visit that $20 million home. I, I feel like there should be like a certain level of proof of funds to even be in the realm of consideration for a franchise instead of these broke boys like Bruce Sherman and Bob Castellini. I like that proof, proof of income, right? Three times market rent. If, uh, if you're, you know, looking at, at an apartment or you need like a guarantor or something like that. So yes. um, it, it's either you yourself are rich enough to be competitive or you need to grab three of your closest rich buddies and you guys can combine to create one mega uh, somewhat competitive person. So uh, I kind of love that, but I never see this rule changing. Now, now that I think about it, I'm, I've, I will never, I don't think we will ever see a salary cap and salary floor in major league baseball just because it doesn't seem realistic at this point. No, I don't think so. I think what, the only thing we'll really see is more strict taxes, you know, and they already added that. That was already put in. Yeah. The, the, the provision was like, basically they were calling it the Steve Cohen tax because owners knew that this was coming. Uh, it would have been worse. So, uh, you know, I, I think they'll make it a little bit stricter, but at the end of the day, look, he's not going to spend that much more. Like it, it, it's still going to be, I think, close enough where it's not that much further off from from the Dodgers and some of these other teams. Right. I'm with you. Um, before we get to like rapid fire GM with the New York Mets, you've got some thoughts on the Kevin Kiermeyer Toronto fit yeah. that came in. Did did the exact contract details come out? It took a couple hours. I did not see it immediately. Uh, I'm sure they have by now, right? It was so the full breakdown is actually I don't see anything on, on spot track. I don't see anything. So whatever the deal is, I'll assume it's nothing that is is really, you know, extremely expensive here for, for Kevin Kiermeyer. even though in this market, you never know. Uh, but what I will say is as long as it's less than 15 million, which I assume it is, um, should be just fine. I really like this fit because, you know, we, we know they've been looking for that that lefty bat and and this is not the most exciting lefty bat uh, and they need probably a better lefty bat. But what he's going to give them in the outfield, uh, a team that 
was net negative defensively in the outfield in terms of value, negative three outs above average, put him in the bottom half of the league. Not terrible, but not good. Uh, but also getting George Springer off his legs a little bit in center field. I, you know, you don't need him out there every day. A guy that struggled to stay healthy, a guy that I think will benefit from that offensively as well. Um, so you're able to kind of get George Springer some more, you know, time at the DH position, not always in center field, you get a better defensive player in Kevin Kiermaier. And I think people say like, oh, his his best days are behind him. Maybe, maybe. But, you know, I still think this guy can play really high level of center field. And um, he's the type of player that as long as he's an average runner, he will always be a good defender. It's once he's, his legs are shot is when he won't be a good defender out there. So I, whatever he is is better than Rymel Tapia offensively. They get a big boost defensively. And I think George Springer is going to benefit from this as well. Kind of like when we saw before Adam Duvall uh, got hurt. When he moved off of center because they called up Michael Harris, Duvall started to hit a lot better too with the Braves. And, you know, I, I'm very interested to see how this works for the Blue Jays. But, you know, I thought for the lower profile signings that people will ignore, I, I, I thought he was a perfect fit for them. I think so too. And and I like that you bring up Tapia because this felt like Ross Atkins was just looking to tap the upgrade button on Rymel Tapia. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what he did with Kiermaier because Tapia – is not the defender that Kiermaier is and and still is. Uh, Kiermaier adds this level of like maybe a teensy bit of pop and like Tapia had none of that. Tapia was put it on the ground and see if you can outrun the shortstop. And in Major League yeah. Baseball, you cannot do that and you will never do that. And that's why Billy Hamilton has been bouncing team by team because you yeah. cannot outrun a Major League shortstop or a Major League third baseman. So Kiermaier is an upgrade defensively and a chance for more offensively. Now I'm looking at roster resource right now on fan graphs and you know, this, this lineup looks good. It looks really good for Toronto, but then you go to the bench and I see Santiago Espinal granted. They're not factoring in Gabby Moreno at this moment, but I see Santiago Espinal. Good. Kevin Biggio would like not to use Kevin Biggio. Nathan Lukes would like not to use Nathan Lukes and Spencer Horowitz would like not to use Spencer Horowitz. So there's more work to be done in Toronto. It seems. Correction. I would like to use Spencer Horowitz. Interesting. <laughs> everybody Why? else. I agree. I think he rakes. I really do think he rakes, but everybody else I'm with you. I, I really do believe in Spencer Horowitz. This guy can swing it. Everybody else. I agree. They, they need to add some pieces to the bench, but Gabby Moreno can play multiple spots. I still think they need to trade one of those catchers. We'll, we'll do the blue Jays episode. Um, but I, I'm excited for the Jays episode because they're really good. They still got more work to do and it's going to be very fun to see, you know, what kind of moves they make. Cool. Um, Peter and I already talked about Nimmo on Friday, quick thoughts on Sanga. And then we go rapid fire through lineup, the rotation, the bench, see what needs to improve Sanga. It was five years, 75. That is cheaper per AAV than Taiwan Walker with the Phillies. And it is cheaper by overall value than Masataka Yoshida with the Red Sox. And we thought that Sanga was the more valuable guy coming over from Nippon Professional Baseball than Yoshida was. I really yeah, like so this deal. We, we don't have the full breakdown on this one, right? I thought it was 5 this is, 75 with an opt-out Yeah, but we don't know. Opt-out after year two or three. was. I've seen mixing things. This is another one where we don't have the the exact details of it. What I will say is, is the opt out, you know, makes the deal look a little bit less of a steal, but it's still a phenomenal deal. Go fill it in real quick. Yeah. So I see full no trade um, the entire time, 15 million in 23, 24, 25 
player option ahead of 2026 and a player option ahead of 2027. Okay. So it's, if you look at it at like three years, 45 million basically is what they're three, saying it is. Three for 45 with two opt-outs. So, you know, the only thing I would say is, is Senga gets himself some security on the back end because let's say this guy stinks. Um, you know, he could just cash his checks for, for five, six years. Um, and for the good faith, the Mets get a pretty good discount on the front end, right? I mean, the 15 AAV in this market is ridiculously cheap. Uh, ridiculous. Like what, what we're going to see Chris Bassett get is going to be most likely more substantial than that AAV wise. He reportedly wants a fourth year. Uh, even if he gets three years, it's going to be, you know, more than 15 million per season. I'd way rather roll the dice on Kodai saying, and, and here's the thing. We don't know how these guys are always going to translate. What I can tell you is what we've talked about in previous episodes. You know, I can tell you what the stuff looks like. It's a splitter that is going to give big league hitters fits from day one. It's going to be a, a plus big league pitch. It's a fastball that can touch triple digits that sits at 96 miles an hour. And, and there's guys with both of those pitches that get shelled. So like, you know, Casey Mize was supposed to be that right, right. right off the bat. So, right. But He's also got a slider in the low 80s that he manipulates to a cutter in the upper 80s that'll run in on the hands of lefties and tie them up. Like this guy has a pretty unique arsenal. He's not like most of these other players that are just, you know, a lot of the guys that come from Japan or, or, or come over that are similar profile. It's just fastball splitter. And they don't really have that third pitch that you can really trust. The breaking ball doesn't quite have the shape that you're hoping for. Uh, I don't think that's the case with Senga. So, I love this signing. I think this is one of the best signings of the offseason so far. And this wasn't just, you know, Uncle Steve shelling out the dough. This was a smart and really well-structured contract that I think sets the the Mets up for success, gives them a little bit more spending ability, even though they don't really need that much breathing room. But I'm sure they'd like to stay as as low uh, as they can above the tax and I mean, this guy could be a, a, a legit number three right off the bat. I think it's very possible, and it could be even better than that, potentially. So even if the stuff is a subdued version of what you described, uh, at $15 million, he's making $1.75 less than Miles Michaelis, who's making sixteen point eight this year. Um, Blake Snell is making sixteen six. Jose Barrios is making fifteen seven, and I want to bounce back from Barrios, but... Charlie Blackman is making 15-3. Herman Marquez is making 15-3. Luis Severino is making 15. Andrew Heaney is making 12. 12 yeah. and change. 12 and, and a half. Eduardo Rodriguez and Kyle Hendricks are making 14. Carlos Carrasco is making 14. I will absolutely, in this market, pay 15 for that stuff. And I also just want to shout out Billy Epler because he may be the biggest Robin in baseball right now, because whenever we see a contract come through, it's, Oh, shout out Steve Cohen. And it's obviously coming from him, but it feels like Billy Epler is making a lot of smart decisions. Hey, this it's, you know, it's funny. You would think that Steve Cohen owned the Padres with the way that AJ Preller is throwing out these deals, right? Reported 14 year deal for Aaron judge, you know, who would be playing until he's 45 at that point. Like, Prowler's being reckless. The Mets are actually being a little bit more strategic. We talk about letting, you know, DeGrom walk. Letting Taiwan Walker go to their rival at four years, 72 million. I'll, I'll pack his bags for him and send him to Philly if I'm New York. And, and that's not a sledded Taiwan, but like that's a lot of money. And that's another example, right? 18 million AAV for four years or 15 million AAV for three years on Kodai Senga, even with the player options in the no trade clause. No brainer. Absolute no-brainer. So, you know, that's why the Mets were okay letting Walker walk because they're able to replace him with Senga, who's cheaper and younger and 
I think way more upside, a pretty, pretty good spot for the Mets to be in. It seems like for their subtractions, they got more value with the additions to replace those guys. I think they ended up replacing some guys and, and gaining a little bit production. Um, when you look at what they did with Verlander and now Stanga uh, with those two signings, I, I really like what they've done. 100% me amigo. Now let's go rapid fire here. Rotation, bullpen, and then we'll go lineup, then bench. And we'll tell you if and where the Mets need to improve. Starting rotation, Verlander, Scherzer, Sanga, Quintana, Carlos Carrasco. That could be one of the best in baseball. I mean, if Jose Quintana, I think he's the big X factor here, which is crazy because I think Kodai Sanga, like theoretically is the X factor because his, his variance is five to, to potentially one, not yeah. in this rotation, but in terms of his ability, I think, you know, both are very unlikely. Um, I can't even sell you on that kind of variance on Cookie Carrasco or Jose Quintana, right? But I, when I look at what Quintana did last year, and like if Quintana falls off, like he's not even usable, right? Like he's back to to whatever he was before. Right. I don't think that's going to happen because he, he did really reinvent himself in the way he was locating his pitch usage and all those different things. Um, but if, if Quintana is what he was last year, which was one of the best lefties in baseball for the duration of the season, this rotation's ridiculous, right? The, the 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 guy you're looking forward to would theoretically be Cookie Carrasco, who when he's on, I mean Carrasco's still a really good arm. And last year he was, you know, sub four ERA guy. He, underlying stats were even better. Have we like nobody's talking about Tyler McGill either? Like Tyler McGill is still fully in the fold here, right? And isn't Lucchese fully in the fold here too? Eliezer Hernandez is an insurance policy for They've them too. They've got depth out the ass. Yeah. It's impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So taken care of on the starting rotation front. Bullpen. Edwin Diaz is your closer for the long term now. They signed David Robertson, one year, 10 million. Then you got Brooks Raley, who was a nice pickup from Tampa. Drew Smith, David Peterson, John Curtis, Zach Green. You mentioned Eliezer. How about Bryce Montez de Oca? How about Steven Ridings? They've got depth. There's no need to add, I don't think. Yeah, I like the Zach Green pickup in the Rule 5. Uh, another, you know, rivalry uh, Rule 5 snatch, which is fun. You know, we talk about Whitlock from, you know, the Yankees to the Red Sox now. The Yankees have a lot of arms, They they and they develop bullpen arms with the best of them. Um, yeah. So you can you can steal some good ones from the Yanks. I like Zach Green in that pickup. Drew Smith looked really good in, in spots last year. Uh, David Robertson, I think, is, is the really big pickup here because we saw somebody like Chris Martin you know, get two years of what was it? What was the breakdown there? It was two years, 17 and a half, seven, something like that. But it was a two year deal, right? David Robertson, one year, a little bit more expensive at 10 mil, but you don't have to co commit the multiple years to a late thirties guy. Um, you get Robertson on a one year where if he's anything close to last year, you've got one of the, the better setup men, uh, that you could want. This guy had 20 saves and was nails at points in the postseason. Uh, they add Rayleigh, like you said, is an underrated trade. I mean, that guy had six saves of his own and also had a two, six, eight last year. Like now they have three guys that are capable of closing games out. Of course, you, you want Diaz closing every game out, but you want to have other guys that are capable of being able to, you know, shut the door. And I think they've got two other guys that can do that. And I think a couple of guys that aren't far off from being able to do that too. Bullpen is, I, I think, pretty much solidified. Yeah, I think so too. Like maybe a one. They got the vet. Deal. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like no need. Yeah, you know, Rayleigh is like a, a low-key vet in some ways, even though he, you know, he he came over from after 
being in the big leagues, went to the KBO and then back to the big leagues. Like he's been around the block. I'd consider that guy a bullpen vet. I think they've got their experienced guys that can balance it with some youngsters. And you know, what's crazy is David Peterson. Like, I guess he's coming out of that bullpen. Right. And I think he can be tough on lefties and, you know, be that middle relief guy. But if that's a guy that if, if he's spot starting for you, his stuff ticked up a little bit last year. He looked pretty great. darn good. He just turned 27 years old. Feel great about that. All right. Lineup. Nimmo in center for the long term. Great. An aging 34-year-old Starling Marte. He's still Starling Marte and he hasn't showed much aging. He just has to stay on the field. Great. Francisco Lindor at short. Pete Alonso at first. Jeff McNeil at second. Mark Canna, 33-year-old, going to be 34 on opening day in left. Daniel Vogelbach and Darren Ruff are probably the DH platoon. Then you've got Eduardo Escobar at third and somebody catching. And I feel like that's kind of where we need to stick. Yeah. You know, like this is, like we said, this is going to be a little bit of a different um, GM episode because these, this team is is pretty, pretty far along here and they've, they've made a lot of the big moves, but you know, I, I do look at the first base taking care of Pete Alonso's there and his defense has gotten so much better. You can keep him there for most of the time, aside from the occasional day off. But left field, I love Marcana, but that is a spot where you could be upgrading, especially in a position where you know power is important. I'm not saying move off of Marcana, but when you look at a corner outfield spot and the DH spot, kind of being a little bit lighter in the production department. You know, Vogelbach is great against righties. I don't, I'm not a believer in platoon DHs though, when you're, you can't play anywhere in the field and Vogelbach basically can only play first and it's not great first base. <laughs> I, I I do wonder, but I know they also don't want to block top prospect Francisco Alvarez, who, you know, should be big league ready at some point, but I think they also shouldn't count on him coming up. So I think they need to really ask themselves here, you know, what are they trying to do? And, and like we talked about, I look at them as a two-year window, and then they're reassessing. And I think a lot of their contractual commitments back that up, Jack, as we've highlighted. So if they're looking at trying to win it in this two-year window right now, I, I'm not really worried about blocking anybody. I think Brett Beatty is going to factor in, you know, whether it's at third base from Eduardo Escobar or, you know, filling in at the DH spot. So maybe that's part of the reason why. And I think Beatty could contribute immediately. He could also play some left. So they might have their internal options here. and They might want to leave themselves a little bit of – you know, flexibility to mix and match. But I do look at the DH in the left field spot and I'm like, that is somewhere where if you're trying to be, you know, the best team in baseball, which they're clearly trying to do at a $400 million tax hit, you could probably do a little bit better there. Yes. Um, You also didn't mention Vientos and Vientos could factor in as well, right? Like you've got Beatty, who is a lefty bat that has shown a ton of promise. You've got Vientos, who is a bit more volatile, but obviously has this crazy juice from the right side. So I I feel like giving each of those guys opportunities in the first couple of months of the season could be beneficial. But again, like you're saying, they're trying to be the best team in baseball. So you're not looking to reassess after you give Beatty and Vientos opportunities. You're looking to try and win 110 games. Exactly. And and if these guys come up and they struggle now, now, you know, you're trying to package Vientos and, and, and send them elsewhere, but he just hit 180 through the first 150 plate appearances. Yeah. Now you're a little stuck, you know? So I, I am very interested to see how they handle it because you'll get the free agent market, you know, who's left. There's not that many guys that you could point to and say, Oh, that's a clear cut upgrade. Like would I love to see them try JD Martinez at the DH spot. Sure. Yeah. But 
if he doesn't hit the way, you know, you're hoping now you've got another guy kind of clunking things up with, you know, uh, not much positional versatility and like Vogelbach, they're kind of splitting times at the DH with how light the benches. I wouldn't hate that. Um, but yeah, I guess the question is, do they need to upgrade this or are there internal options enough between Alvarez, Vientos, and, you know, they they did trade for Darren Ruff, who was hurt all last year. The assumption is that Ruff, you know, with a neck injury and dealing with other stuff, will be better this year. The way Ruff crushes lefties, Vogelbach crushes righties. If that's your contingency plan, if the prospects don't pan out, that's not the worst thing in the world, especially with the rest of the, the way the rest of this lineup looks. No, I mean, it, like my final thought on the Mets is I believe they are a finished product right now. I just have my the same concern that I had last year, which was, is there enough slug outside of Pete Alonso? It's so hard to string together hits in today's game. And outside of Pete Alonso, you don't have one guy who hit 30 home runs. The next most was Lindor with 26, which is good. Um, is there enough slug with Nimmo, Marte, McNeil, Canna, Escobar? Uh, I, I love the contact-oriented approach. I, I, I love having a lineup like that. But if you have a lineup like that, I just feel like you got to have one more of those 30-plus home run threats alongside Pete Alonso. And I, and I don't know if they have that guy right now, but maybe the platoon of Vogelbach and Ruff can give you, which it almost did give you 30 last year, and they both, you know, especially Ruff, didn't play to the best of their ability. So, Maybe that's how they look at it. And that worked for the Giants. So, uh, you know, in 2021. So maybe I, I just think there needs to be a little bit more slug. Don't kill me for throwing this name out. How's the fit between the Mets and Joey Gallo? <laughs> I don't think it's bad, man. I don't think I don't, it's I, bad. Like we know he can play a good defensive outfield. We know that already about Joey Gallo. I think that's a very underrated part of his game. Obviously, all anybody wants to talk about is the fact that he might hit 115, but the shift change, uh, it, he can't get worse in the batting average department. We know he has 30, 40, hell, 50 homer potential if everything is okay. And we know he's going to provide pretty good outfield defense. Like I think that's a good fit. And obviously he's not going to cost much because he's hit rock bottom in his career. And he's obviously not going to play every day. So when people are like, oh no, Gallo, you had your scarred from Joey Gallo because the Yankees were trotting him out there every single game because they had to, because they gave up a haul for him. And he was struggling every single game. Yeah. Um, you know, when you look at what he would be for you now, I, I look at their outfield. It's still going to be, if you sign a Joey Gallo, it's still going to be Starling Marte. It's still going to be Mark Canna. And it's still going to be Brandon Nimmo. But here's the thing. You have Starling Marte, who continues to get hurt and, and is going to need those days off, you know, every week or so, uh, which you're going to get some gallo starts there. You also have a Marcana who gets hurt and is going to need some days off here and there. And you can also, you know, bring him in here against, uh, you know, a weaker throw and righty. Uh, you have Canna for all the lefties. You have Marte for all the lefties. But uh, just looking at it from that perspective, like no one's expecting Joey Gallo to be an everyday player anymore. I don't think like he's he's going to be a platoon guy at best. If he's your fourth outfielder, so to speak, it's not the worst thing. We're going to find out in about half an hour, but what do you think Fink says if I bring up the name Joey Gallo? Do you think he vomits? Uh, yes, I think he'll be furious. We'll see. All right, here's Ryan Finkelstein. Okay, 
It's the managing editor, Ryan Finkelstein's Christmas. Let's talk about the New York Mets on the Just Baseball Show. But before we actually start talking, I do want to read the text that you sent to Aram and I earlier today, if I can <laughs> find it. Uh, here we go. You said, <laughs> hey, guys, just offering my services to talk about Steve Cohen's fuck everyone else spending offseason on the JV show this week. And I thought that was perfect. I mean... You are a South Florida guy, but grew up a diehard Mets fan. You're the host of Locked On Mets. You are, as I called you in the intro that you haven't heard yet, like the go-to for Mets content, like the source for, for Mets content. And this is probably the best time to be a Mets fan. Obviously, you've got oh, like, yeah. you know, 86 and, you know, the, the Doc Good and Daryl Strawberry stuff, but in your lifetime, nothing probably comes close to what's going on right now, no? The only time that I could think of is like 06. Like 06 was a good year, but you have you have years like 06, 2015. There's a couple of years. There's never been a time where I can look out to the future for the Mets and be like, yeah, th this team's going to win and it's going to keep winning because Steve Cohen wants to win. And it's just that simple. I, I am just... To, to to go from the feeling of DeGrom leaving, that's a feeling I know as a Mets fan. Like, oh, another guy goes, you get Verlander. Like, okay, DeGrom who, you're already kind of feeling like that. Yeah. And then you get the feel good of a Brandon Nemo coming back. Yeah. Like, as a fan, you love the homegrown guy getting the contract. So that's good. And then you get Sanga on a steal of a deal. Yeah, this is, there's no comparison uh, to what this offseason has been so far. And, and like my tech said, this is Steve Cohen's fuck you to everyone in the league. He played a little bit nice last year. He started to spend a little bit, but this is where he says, you know what? And you know what? This is, he telegraphed this. He said multiple times, if you're going to blow past the luxury tax for a year, blow all the way past it. And that's what they've done. So he, he wasn't going to go over by 2 million. No, no. He, what's he over by 90? I, I mean, it depends on which threshold. And if you're talking about the, uh, the Steve Cohen threshold, He's like, I think 40, 50 million over that one already. I think they're, they're sitting at what, 340? I don't even know because they don't even have the arbitration locked in yet. So it's insane. I, I, what's the real luxury tax? Was it 230? It was, I think it was right around 225 this year. So I, I, I'm not sure if it's locked so, in this year, but they, I, they I will would pay say it. that. I, yeah, well, they'll pay it. And, and I would assume that they are clear of $100 million more than the, the first luxury tax line. Dude, Which is just that, nuts. It's absolutely insane. I'm I'm gonna ask you a really loaded question. I'm gonna ask you to remove your Mets fandom in a moment. But yeah, before that, obviously shit's gotta shake out the way that Mets fans want it to on the field. But you mentioned 2006. You mentioned like any positive memory for Mets fans, I'm sure, has a correlation to what's happening on the field. Now, it's not what it's not what's happening on the field. And I, I think that that is actually a pretty um, telling shift in baseball fans thinking, because baseball, I think, has turned from what's going on on the field to what's happening off the field to impact what's going on on the field. Right. That's the conversation that we have. How much play do front offices have? And obviously we're talking about the owner right now. So Steve Cohen is not, you know, <laughs> hands-on with hiring the, the coordinator for minor league pitching, but Billy Epler is obviously doing a great job. Aram and I just hit on that a little bit in the intro. Um, how confident 
is the Mets base because you have your finger on the pulse of the Mets fan base better than anybody I know. And I've come across Um, how confident is the Mets fan base that this will turn into barring catastrophe, really, really positive on field success. I think if you're asking what the fan base is thinking, then I would say that it's hard to actually look at the Mets fan base and expect them to be rational because look, it's every fan base, but the emotions get in there and, we have listeners on my show that are, that are commenting now and they're saying, look, this team isn't improved from last year and, and that's a big problem. I believe they're improved. But even if you're telling me that they've gotten bare minimum where they were last year, which I think without a doubt, they are at least as good as they were. It was a 101 win baseball team. What are we talking about here? Yeah. Like, yes, the season didn't end the way you want it to, but it was still a 101 win team. So personally, I, I think there's, there's two ways to look at it. The, how do the fans feel about the Mets until the Mets win a world series, get the monkey off their back and are consistently winning. There's always going to be that, that pessimism, that angst. But if we're going to talk about the future of the franchise, I think that they're in really good hands right now. I think they're in, in a good place to win in the short term on a bloated payroll and become sustainable in a few years. And let's be honest, you know it better than anybody. So much of Mets fans' personality is that they are long-suffering Mets fans, right? Pessimism yeah. is the name of the game in the Mets fan base. So I understand that there's going to be this, this eternal pessimism in the New York Mets fan base. But I, I think now is the time to shed all of that. But now comes the loaded question for you. And I asked Aram this. He gave a unique response. Um, I was asked this, like the the genesis of this was I was a guest on uh, the Future Sox podcast on Sunday morning, and they kind of asked me this question. I was like, holy shit, that's a good question. I All I want to do right now is ask Fink. So uh, I'm stealing it from them, but really simply and, and try to take off your Mets hat, right? Try to okay. um, imagine yourself as a pedestrian baseball fan living in, I don't know, L.A., San Francisco, something like that. Is what Steve Cohen is doing good for baseball? It's hard. He's thinking. This isn't dead air. He's thinking. Yes, I'm thinking. It's a, it's a tough question. Um, I, I think that, you know, it, it's good for baseball in the sense that, you know, it, it's, it's forcing action, right? It, it's forcing other teams to really think about, you know, maybe we have to spend a little more to compete. And I, I think in some ways, it, I always skew on the side of the players getting more money is good for the game, right? With that said, I also can't ignore the fact that when I was a, a Mets fan growing up and the Yankees were doing what the Mets are doing right now, I hated it. So I get why a White Sox podcast or any other, you know, fan base that maybe saw Kodai Stanga out there and thought, that's the one guy we want to add. That's the one. We're not trying to add anyone else. We're just trying to add Kodai Senga. And the Mets got him too. And are thinking, well, now there's just not enough to go around for everybody. So it, I think the only way we can really tell is to see how this season plays out and to see how baseball continues to transform. Because with the way the Padres and the Mets are spending, uh, it, it's. It, but then you also have other teams that might be looking at what the Phillies did and are just going to be like, well, we're never going to compete with them. So let's just get into the dance and try to get lucky in October. So I, I 
it's so hard. I, I really, I know it was a bad answer. I'm all over the place because it's a really tough question. No shit, man. I was all over the place too. Arm at a multifaceted approach too. Like there's no clear cut yes or no answer to that question. So I, I was very fascinated coming from a Mets person if they could remove themselves and give me an honest answer. And, and you just gave me a very honest answer. And it's it's a complex answer because it's a really complex question put in simple terms. So no, I, I think that's perfect. I want to work... Uh, in reverse chronological order for signings, because I want to go okay. Senga, then Robertson, then Nimmo, then Verlander, because those are the four big ones for the New York Mets so far. So starting with Kodai Senga, this was a massive one. And what this told me was that the tandem of Billy Epler and Steve Cohen, I did a guy and, you know, I don't know how baseball savvy Steve Cohen is. And I'm sure that you have a better idea of it. Like it's Billy Epler saying, these are the decisions that we should be making. And and I feel like he's kind of saying F it, or do I have that backwards? Is is Steve Cohen almost trying to to Jerry Jones this thing? So what I will say is Steve Cohen is very much involved. He's very much involved. And I, I think that, you know, he, you know, Billy Epler presents him with everything that that's, that's what we've got in the sense of that that he has been told, I want to be afforded the opportunity to know everything that's out there. And then a lot of times, if it makes sense for the bulk of, they're going to say yes to it. Steve, I think that the Sanga signing was more Epler. Yeah. And I think that Nimmo was more a Steve Cohen decision. Yes. yes. That, that's what I think. I, I, Cause for one, you know, Billy Epler, the guy that signed Shohei Otani is very familiar with that market and very familiar with how to get those guys to sign. So that makes a lot of sense. And the other thing I'll say about the Kodai Senga signing is their offseason, they signed Verlander. What do we hear? First thing, they're still in on Senga. They signed Quintana. They're still in on Senga. They signed Nimmo. First thing out from reporters, they're still in on Senga. Epler really wanted this guy, and every move that they made, he was just making the Mets more attractive. What did we hear Senga wanted? Play in a big market. To win. To win now and to go to a team that's interested in analytics. Steve Cohen is trying to get the Mets up to, to par as far as, you know, telling Billy Epler to hire as many analytics people as possible. Check one, big market, check two. And now look at the roster we're, we're building here. I think they got him because they gave him the opt out. So it's look, come here, win, prove you can be awesome. And in three years, you can get your, your huge contract. And for the Mets perspective, that puts Sango right in their window three years, $15 million a year for Kodai Senga. I, I was seeing people thinking he was going to get six for 120. Yeah. And they get him. This is a steal of a contract. You go from long-term money on, on your rotation. You could have brought back Taiwan Walker at $72 million for four years. You pay three extra million. You get an additional year on Kodai Senga. That's a steal. It's a steal. And, and you think about the player options, right? It's three for 45. Like that's yeah. so much better than the Taiwan Walker thing. I love the way that Kodai Senga went about his free agency. You mentioned the three things that he wanted. Big market to win immediately, team that understands how to improve pitching analytically. That's the liberty that free agency has afforded guys. And yes, guys are going to hunt paydays. Yes, guys are going to hunt winning. But the beauty of Major League Baseball and the beauty of there being 30 teams is, is you've got a bunch of teams that fall into a whole bunch of different buckets. If you wanted to go to a place that's pretty low-key but really emphasizes winning, Kodai Senga could look at Tampa. Hell, he could look at, you know, 
Anaheim, if they did want to build something, like we know that they've turned into a shit show, but you could go to Cleveland, right? Like there are opportunities there. How about big market in the midst of a rebuild phase? There are a lot of opportunities there. How about small market that, you know, you want to be the guy? Like there are opportunities there. Biggest payday, obviously you've got all 30 teams at your disposal. But what Kodai Senga just did is he gave himself the opportunity to sign with the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers. Is that it? Pretty much, yeah, I think so. I mean, because the Red Sox aren't really on that level right now. No, I don't think so. And the beauty of baseball and the beauty of what Kodai Senga just did to position himself is he knows that he's going to get some of his his better offers from those three teams. And and it turns out that the Mets were the one that separated themselves from the pack. And I agree with you. I think they did it by a lot of other free agent ads. Um, Kodai Senga, for that reason, has already become a guy that I'm rooting hard for because he knows exactly what the fuck he wanted and he got exactly what the fuck he wanted. Now, in terms of actual pitching, I think this guy's going to be really good. What do you think? I'm sure you've just gone down the rabbit hole of like what he can actually do on the mound. Well, here's the thing about, about the, the Kodai Senga signing to me now at 50, if I had to look at it, he has to be a $15 million pitcher. All I need for him to be that is, is a number four starter. And I think that the floor of that is absolutely there. The ceiling, you can dream on him being a guy that can be much better than that. And I think what he's doing here, he's betting on himself knowing that, look, if I star on a Mets team that's winning every single year here and I'm in the biggest market, potentially rising to even be a, an ace if he's thinking of himself that highly, I'm going to cash in big time in three years. I, I mean, we don't know. Like, There's no way for me to tell you, oh, yeah, it's definitely going to translate. I, I'd be talking out of my ass. Like, I really don't know what's going to work here. But what I'll tell you is even if it doesn't work with the four-pitch mix and the Mets are, quote-unquote, stuck with this contract for five years, could we see a Kodai Senga in two years be reimagined as a nasty reliever with his fastball and that ghost fork? Like the potential, the, all the, the possibilities are pretty endless with this guy, but the ceiling is there all off season. It was who's going to be that three starter. I always kind of knew they're getting to Grom, Verlander, or Rodon. That's just the world we're living in with Steve Cohen. They were going to get one of those three. They were going to be the one slash two with Scherzer. So you had the top two and, and you can plug and play the bottom two. Exactly. So the question is, who's going to be that game three starter? If you end up in a wild card scenario again next year, who's the third guy getting the ball? Now, I love the upside that Kodai Senga brings. And I think what they did by signing Jose Quintana is on two fronts. For one, they get a guy that's durable. You know, he's going to go out and be able to make starts for you. He is, is someone that I think gave them more leverage in the Senga negotiations where they could say, you know what, this is pricing out for us we still got a solid five-man rotation. They, they could have been fine. Now also, with all the guys they have in place, they can go with the six-man rotation if they want to really protect Sanga, Verlander, and Scherzer. And you get those three guys healthy, firing all cylinders in October, that Mets team is going to be tough to beat. I think you've got three badass motherfuckers at the top of this rotation, to be totally honest, which you, so you, too. we know that's what Scherzer is. Um, I, I think Verlander is cut from a very similar cloth. And I think those two being in the same uniform again, after being around the block time and time again, is going to be awesome. And, and you've got Sango, who obviously has his priorities in line. That screams badass MF to me. 
Jose Quintana is a guy that I I have always had a soft spot for because he came onto the scene with the White Sox, right? His lone all-star season was as a White Sox. His best years were as a White Sox until this year. And what I loved about Jose Quintana was, and I know this word is used in different ways now, but just how surgical he was when he was at his best. Because when the White Sox were running out Jose Quintana, they were also running out Chris Sale. And those are two left-handed arms as a one and two in Chicago. They couldn't have thrown in different ways. Chris Sale was 10 strikeout streak, right? He was 97-98 and this crazy slurve that started in a lefty's ear hole and ended up in the other batter's box, like scraping the dirt. And then you've got Jose Quintana, who was painting 92 at his best when he was in his mid to late 20s. Still doing that. Turns out it's 90. Um, And and this was a guy that full-blown sucked before 2022 for a couple of years. But he he found out a way to grab that surgical nature about his game again. And I think it worked perfectly. And you've got a guy like Scherzer, who obviously still has disgusting stuff. You've got a guy like Verlander who can rack up these strikeouts. Sanga, we know the report is flirt with 100, nasty split. Having a pitchability guy like Jose Quintana to sprinkle in there and a lefty is kind of awesome. What what was the reaction there? Because Quintana came in pretty much at the same time as David Robertson. So those are two guys that are cut from a very similar cloth, which is a different cloth than a lot of the stars, the Edwin Diaz in the bullpen, and then the Scherzer, Verlander, uh, Senga, who we didn't know was going to be a Met in the rotation at the time. What was the overall reception to Quintana and Robertson? Well, first off, uh, I understand the confusion. The Mets have been making a lot of moves. It was uh, <laughs> Verlander, Quintana, Robertson was sandwiched behind Brandon Nemo. Oh, but, God. Yeah. Right. You know, Sorry. A lot's been happening. A lot's been happening. Yeah. They had two guys in Quintana and Carrasco that I, I feel like they can go out there. That they can, they're the type of starters where, you know, they might have a couple of bad outings in there, but. More times than not, they're going to be the veterans that are going to eat some innings for you. They're going to get you deep into games. And the one thing I'll say about Quintana is we saw the the numbers really tick up when he went to St. Louis. Uh, you know, and I think part of that is pitching in front of that defense. Now that Nimmo's back in the fold, this Matt's defense can be as good as it was last year. I think that really helps him. Quintana had the, if it was not the best in baseball, at least in the best in the NL, the best home run per nine. Uh, in the game last year, I think it was 0.4. So if he's keeping the ball in the yard, you got Nemo and Marte running down those fly balls. You got Lindor and McNeil up the middle. I think it's a perfect spot for him. And then you just look at the contract too. Two years, $26 million for Jose Quintana. There's just no risk in that to me. I mean, it's it's such a, such a smart move. I, I tweeted this last night. You have Senga and Quintana making $28 million next year. Taiwan Walker's making 18. Bassett's probably going to make 20. So you saved it's $10 million less. And personally, Senga, Quintana, which one do you like more? Senga, Quintana, or Bassett, Taiwan Walker? So I actually had my answer is the former. My answer is the one that the Mets actually have right now. I had a Bassett question that I totally forgot to ask. You got to feel so much better having Kodai Senga than Chris Bassett at this moment, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because and it's 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 all of it because you know I, I think Bassett was amazing to get you through the season. So I like that they have Quintana to kind of fill that aspect of it. 
But when it's getting the ball in the postseason, so much better the idea of having Sanga with that ghost fork than Chris Bassett, who when the lineups get better, I just don't know if he can hang and, and be a, a playoff starter you can really go to. I think he might give you one good playoff start, but he's not going to be taking the ball every single round and shoving. I think Senga can be that. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I looked at homers per nine. There were eight pitchers, eight qualified pitchers uh, in Major League Baseball that had a home runs per nine clip under 0.7. And, and I'm going to work, quote unquote, worst to best. So the highest homers per nine, Sandy Alcantara had the eighth, eighth best homer per nine um, 0.63 home runs per nine innings. So Sandy was eight. Justin Verlander was seven. Carlos Rodon, six. Max Fried, five. Logan Webb, noted ground ball guy, four. Martin Perez, holy shit, three. Framber Valdez, best ground ball guy in baseball, two. And Jose Quintana, one. Wow. I didn't realize he was that good in that department. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great find. Man. The, the whole, I mean, this rotation is just... It's, I mean, it's six deep because David Peterson, look at his numbers last year. Like the, 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 the only person on the Mets who's upset right now is David Peterson because he absolutely deserves to be a big league starter. Yeah. And if they go with a five man rotation, he might be in Syracuse next year. Yeah. He doesn't deserve that, but that's what happens when you're on a good team. That's what happens when you're on a good team. Uh, Robertson, you know, like not much time needed on him because he's exactly what they needed. They needed a guy that can throw the ninth inning if Edwin Diaz has worked two days in a row, three days in a row already. They have a secondary closer and for sure a setup guy. Um, I, I do want to go to Nimmo now. And, the, and that point you made about this being more of a Steve Cohen deal than Sanga possibly being a Billy Epler deal because it, it's very... Um, I saw Peter Seidler, the the owner of the Padres, say something in the Athletic that kind of hit the way that the Nimmo deal with the Mets hit, and he was justifying the long term deals for superstars coming to San Diego. And Peter Seidler said, "I'm I'm more willing to give guys longer term deals because I feel like that sense of security almost relaxes them a little bit." And I think that's exactly what the Mets just did with Brandon Nimmo. Nimmo knew he was due for a payday, but the question was, is he going to be a place that he may not want to be? There's a lot of anxiety in free agency. And what Steve Cohen with Billy Epler with the New York Mets just did to Brandon Nimmo from the outsider perspective is, hey, we love you. We've had you since you were an 18-year-old kid in Wyoming. We want you to be a Met. And yeah. here he is as a Met for the next eight years. And that's got to feel good as a Mets fan. It feels great, man. I wrote an article for us. You know, it's pretty cool that Brandon Nemo is a lifelong Met, and I did a podcast on it as well. And, you know, I think that for one, what happened here is if you look at all the contracts the Mets signed this offseason, this is the only one that can be bad. This is the only one where I can envision a scenario, unless, you know, Verlander breaks down. But this is the one where it's an eight year deal for Brandon Nemo. I don't think that Billy Upler brought this to Steve Cohen's attention. This is the best way that we can use our resources. But, when Steve Cohen is presented with the alternatives in center field, there's nothing in free agency anymore. I mean, Bellinger was maybe kind of the only thing that you could maybe put a one-year bet on, but that's not Nemo. You go to the trade market. I, they, I hear they asked on um, Alec Thomas. That was going to cost some Brett Beatty. Yeah. So if that's going to cost you Brett Beatty, and then you're giving up what could be a cost-controlled third baseman, who I think could be better than Alec Thomas as a hitter, yeah. what are we doing here? So I think when there was no other options – Steve Cohen stepped in and said, look, 
Let's do it. Let's get Nimmo back. And I think Nimmo, a Scott Boris client, Brandon Nimmo is represented by Scott Boris. He was clear cut the top outfielder on the market. Yeah. And he signs now. Like usually you're going to hold that out and get as much money possible. This is Brandon Nimmo saying, I want to be a Met. This is Steve Cohen of the Met saying, we want Brandon Nimmo. It's so cool. In that article I wrote in the podcast I, I, uh, I made on it, there was the catch. He, he robbed the home run. It was a two to one victory over the Dodgers at the end of August. Jacob deGrom on the mound. Um, and after the game, he is talking to the fans, you know, in the ballpark. Watch that clip and try not to have chills about this signing. It is unbelievable. This guy from Wyoming, yeah, who couldn't was 71 days into being able to have a legal driver's license in his state, signs with the Mets, 2.1 million, goes from being a fourth outfielder, what everyone thought he was going to be. No one thought he would be a starter. And here he is signing the second largest contract in franchise history. Number nine might be hanging in the rafters, which I can't even kind of put my head around. But if the Mets win two World Series and he's just starting center fielder and he plays 15 years with the Mets, you never know, man. Yeah, shit, you're right. You never know. And, and at this juncture, you're you're saying Brandon Nimmo's number, number might get retired and we're just like, dude, shut up now. Uh, I but know, I understand. You're right. That, but when you say that, when he could be the leadoff guy in the center fielder for the New York Mets for several World Series championships – that totally changes the narrative around Brandon Nimmo. And I, I think he has done a great job already shifting the narrative several times in his career in a positive way. Um, Verlander's the last one we want to go over. And then I want to talk about what's to come for the New York Mets with the managing editor, Ryan Finkelstein. We haven't had you on since Verlander signed um, that two-year $86 million deal. Holy shit. I think that's a great contingency plan when DeGrom walked. It's funny that that he gets exactly the Scherzer contract. It's like this is this is the going right. You want the mercenary end of his career, future Hall of Famer that still got it. Uh, he gets forty three point three three million or whatever whatever the exact breakdown is. I this was the Mets' plan. They can tell you that it was always that you know if Degrom wanted to come back, he'd come back. I think Verlander was Plan A the whole time. I think that they presented Jacob Degrom with the exact offer that he could refuse. It was three years, 115. I made a big point about this on my show. It came in 15 million less than what Scherzer got on that three-year deal. And then they turn around and they give Verlander 43. Like, come on. There's something to that. Verlander was buddy-buddy with Cohen. Cohen wants to be friends with these players. This is, he, you know, and DeGrom apparently wanted no part of Steve Cohen. I actually had some affection towards the past ownership, which I guess he came up with. So maybe he knows the Wilpons behind closed doors, but... Mets fans hear that DeGrom loved the Wilpons, and if they already didn't love DeGrom anymore, that's that's just going to sail that ship even further. So, look, you you go from five years committed to Jacob DeGrom with a six-year option. The Mets were never going to match that contract. You get Verlander, it's a two-year window. He, he lines right in with Scherzer now, and you go out and you try to win. And again, all of this is aimed towards trying – Steve Cohen does not really want to continue to pay a ridiculous fine. He's still a guy that that wants to run his businesses in a way where they make money. But he was inherited a car. It's like he he was he was inherited like a Honda Civic and he's waiting for the Lamborghini to be able to actually come in and so he's just renting one for a couple of years now. And then he's going to get or maybe it's a Tesla in 2 years. That's more self-sufficient. I don't know. But so you, you ever watched um you ever watched Song Exploder on Netflix? No. 
So Song Exploder, I love Song Exploder. So the, the whole premise is this guy sits down with an artist and walks through how they created a song. Okay. And it's, you know, like, hey, why did you opt for this baseline? You know, like, how did you make that sound? What is the meaning behind this song? And there's they, they explode L.A. by Ty Dolla Sign, which is the lead song on his debut album. And Ty Dolla Sign, he got he he wanted violin in the song and said, no, fuck it. I need a whole orchestra. And he said, yeah, I paid seventy five thousand dollars of money that I didn't have to get an orchestra into a recording booth and make this sound. Cause I knew I would have it later. And like, that is what's going on with Steve Cohen, right? Like he's putting in so much money up front because he knows he can build this dynasty and he knows he'll get this money back. He'll get it in foam trumpets that they sell at city field. He'll get it in Verlander jerseys. Like he's going to be just fine. I promise you. So this is a guy that has the means putting in a shit ton of means up front in order to roll in the dough over the next however many decades that the Coens own the New York Mets. So, Ryan Finkelstein, I ask you, what is left on the docket for the New York Mets this offseason? Well, first of all, I just want to say, building on that for a second here, since Steve Cohen came, came under, there's only one significant prospect that's been traded. Pete Crow Armstrong was traded to get Javi Baez when the Mets thought that they were a piece away. And it was his, his number one player, Francisco Lindor, that was in his ear trying to get the guy. Other than that, they have not touched the farm. That is the goal here. That's why they are signing all these guys. It's to let this farm system develop. And I think leading into your next question here, they really do believe in Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty being big parts of this team. By bringing Nemo back, the offense is the same as last year. Mets fans freak out about that. It was a top five offense in baseball. Top four, if you go based on war, top five on run scored. So it, I think that the idea is we're going to get some extra juice with Alvarez catching a lot of juice compared to the the offensive catchers they had and Beatty at third base. That pushes Escobar into a bench role where he can contribute at DH. I, I think what's left here is they need a fourth outfielder, yeah. a name I would – think about here is adam duvall is that the same name you guys are talking about no no i've got what one it, it it made arm laugh and i feel like it might piss you off all right hold on so so here's yeah, my here's my on. duvall take fourth outfielder gives you some pop right-handed the key makes a lot of sense um aj pollock would kind of be uh another version of that i think they if they really want to juice the offense they could consider abandoning Vogelback, going somewhere else like a canner or Brantley at DH. I could see that happening. But other than that, I mean, it's add probably one more arm to the bullpen and then it's about trading guys. So maybe we can talk about that after because I, I think that they're going to try to get rid of some of these other players that are on the roster that are on salaries that they might not want like a McCann and others. But we'll get to that in a minute. Who's this name? I'm very curious who this name is. What do you think the fit's like with Joey Gallo? Dude, I actually had that too. Yes. I, said, I, yes. I had discussed Joey Gallo on my show. Uh, this was before Nimmo uh, came back. And I was looking at how do you fill right field if you slide Marte into center. And I thought that Joey Gallo made sense with the defense, with the power. Uh, I don't know if he's going to want to sign there at this point because there might not be enough at-bats for him. But it's it's intriguing. Okay. Little Good. Joey Gallo. I 
I just didn't want to get shut down because I think what has gone under the radar is outfield defense. He's a really good yeah. defensive outfielder, and we know the pop that is there. And in Arm cited slug, they need more slug. Joey Gallo, we know, is is slug. That's all he does is slug and defense uh, in the outfield. So I, I did like the Joey Gallo idea, but keep going. Well, so here's the thing. I, I think with all, all these guys I was discussing, under the context of the Mets are probably going to lose Nimmo. So yeah. now when you're talking about them as a fourth outfielder, suddenly an Adam Duvall, a Joey Gallo, a Michael Conforto, all make a lot more sense. And to me, Conforto is the one, of course, as the Mets fan that I want. And the reason being, if, if you know, you, you obviously are much better terms with Scott Boris. If you have an honest conversation, say, look, Michael Conforto, come to the Mets on a one year with, with an option on a second year. And you come into spring training and can you beat out Mark Hanna to be the starting left fielder for the New York Mets? I think he probably can, or at least all of these guys will get time. And then suddenly Canna's your fourth outfielder. I think Conforto makes a ton of sense for this team right now because he gives you the pop that you would want. He could play all three positions if you had to, but can definitely play both corners well. Obviously, you know, familiar with New York. And if you're Michael Conforto and you're looking at your options, you have a chance to go to the Mets for a year. Let's just say it's a one-year, $10 million contract with like a, a $20 million option as a $5 million buyout on it. So he's getting like one for 15 guaranteed. Yeah. That's a contract. If you're if you're, uh, if you're Michael Conforto, I think he'd consider you, you want to go play for the Mets again, redeem yourself and play for a team that's going to be awesome this year. It might be a little more attractive than we think. I think so. The problem is just like, the possibility of backfiring is way higher with the Mets than with others because sure. he could, he could get phased out of at bats really, really quickly. Yeah. You know what I mean? That That's the thing. That's the thing. Obviously you go to Cincinnati or you go to play for the Cubs and you should have 500 plate appearances slated for you. Probably guaranteed for you. Yeah. And, I mean, and that's the, where the difference dude, is. The wind blowing out like 35 pumps at great American ballpark. It really, it's not feels. the best thing for him, but it's the best thing for me. So, you know, yeah, I, get it. I, I totally get it. Nothing pitching, right? I thought the pitching was picture perfect, to be totally honest. I think that, you know, what's crazy is their their 40-man actually is set now after the, the Sanga signing. They are full. Uh, so they would have to trade some guys to, to open up some spot. I could still see them bringing back Adam Adovino or Trevor May. I think Trevor May is actually the guy I would sign because – I kind of like the reliever coming off the down year that showed that he's better than that. Yeah. And Trevor May was good in September. So if you get him back on a, on a contract, that's going to be a lot cheaper than Adovino, slide him back and see what happens. But they, they their bullpen out that they traded for Brooks Raley also. Yeah. Their bullpen's kind of fine. I think the only thing is, can they find a suitor for James McCann? That's, that's something that they're going to try to do. I, you never know. You never know. He here's, might just be here's, two way, here's how you can get rid of James McCann. You trade James McCann with Mark Vientos. Oh, that's one way. Yeah. Another way you trade James McCann with Tyler McGill. Yeah. Another way you eat a good amount of the money. Here, here's I, I got to We can end on this one because I have I have a fun trade I wanted to pitch to you. Maybe you can tell me who comes back because I don't even think it really matters who comes back to the Mets. Call up Baltimore. Send them a year of Carlos Carrasco and you eat eight. I think it was, I had $4 million on McCann's contract for each of the next two years. So they get a backup for Rutschman for two years 
at that put him at I think eight million a season. Yeah, Mets get money off their books, and they get a Carlos Carrasco in their rotation. And the Mets roll with Peterson as their five. Are you saying what do they get back? I don't even think that it doesn't even matter what they get back. They get McCann off their books is what they're getting. I was going to say they, they might get like a piece of the now extinct short porch in left field. Like, I, I don't think you get a player back, but. Well, no, I mean, I, I'm just saying when the Orioles do that, when the Orioles consider that, because if you think about it from Cohen's perspective, if you're cutting $22 million on a, on a luxury tax penalized team, he could be saving like, what is that? Like $40 million by getting rid of those two players. Yeah, and and this is a team that needs veteran leadership really badly now that Mancini's gone. Like, who's your veteran leader? Cedric Mullins? He hasn't won anything in his career. So you've got a guy in in McCann that has caught a no-hitter, been told time and time again, and, like, the whole narrative around James McCann is he is as good of an on-field coach as you could possibly find. He just isn't really that talented. That sounds like a backup catcher. That seems like a guy on a major league roster. And then Carlos Carrasco, he's been around the block. Like, I, yeah. I do think that makes a lot of sense. I I like that pairing, Fink. Good shit. Yeah, um, saying. I mean, the only thing that, that I, I would say about that one is there is a very real chance the Mets are thinking the six man rotation, in which case they're going to hang on to Carrasco, but I'm just trying to find ways to get McCann off the books. And that was one that I thought was pretty fun. Yeah, no, that is pretty fun. Uh, Last thoughts on on your New York Mets. I mean, shit, like it's nothing but positive vibes, right? I'm chilling. You know, and and it's (laughs) the off season, nothing can ruin it. You know what I mean? I will be, I will be happy and giddy for the next three months until baseball starts to get played. And hopefully the Mets will keep winning. I'll stay this way for, for like a year. That'd be great. But uh, yeah, I, I love the off season, especially now. And uh, we'll see if the Steve Cohen has anything else up his sleeve. I don't think he really has to though. This team's kind of done. I love it. Shout out the New York Mets. Mets fans finally have something to be super giddy about. And it, it feels like if any team has come close to acing the off season, they're the ones. Every link you need is in the episode description. Peter and I will be back with another GM episode tomorrow. We are still deciding uh, which team that is going to be, but this was kind of your GM episode for the New York Mets. Really, it's just a, a love fest for Stevie C and the boys. Fink, appreciate you, man. Yeah, for sure.